CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we're back here yet again today as we continue our off-season outlook series, and today we'll be talking about the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, just a couple days ago, we talked about the Ottawa Red Blacks as we were trying to make up for missing a week last week. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, that's up on our SoundCloud and iTunes pages. Make sure to do so as well. Uh, we'll break down all of the transactions from the past week as well. Um, to do all this, let's bring him in. The other half of the dynamic duo, as I always say, Michael Garrell. How are you, Mike? I'm okay. It's a very less blizzardy day here in Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yesterday was uh, an interesting day with the weather, wasn't it? Yeah, well, the sun is out today, but unfortunately, what usually followed the blizzard or snowstorm of some kind in Winnipeg is sub minus 25 temperatures. For sure. Now, Mike, before we begin talking about football here, I mean, everyone, if they don't live under a rock, if they're on social media, knows it by now already. But today is Bell Let's Talk Day. So I feel like we, it's our duty here to spend a bit of time talking about Bell Let's Talk and what it means. Yeah, and of course, Bell Let's Talk is an initiative with Bell to raise awareness on mental illness. And every, I'm just trying to find the details, every retweet with the hashtag Bell Let's Talk gets five cents, and then there's some other conditions with, uh, Bell telephone users, every long-distance call, every view that their video gets, uh, things like that. And it all it all adds up to five cents for all of it. So it's like a multi-million dollar donation by the end of the day. Yeah, and, and it's an initiative that, I mean, it's an excellent one and one that shouldn't just be, you know, focused on a single day, one that should continue all year round. And, you know, making it aware that it's okay to suffer from a mental illness, it's okay to talk about it, and it certainly doesn't make you weak. It's, uh, it's you know, it's a real thing that many people deal with that probably everyone around the world has been affected about affected in some way with whether it's their own or someone they know that's dealing with it you know it, it's very interesting and I, i'm not trying to slam this bell let's talk initiative because it's a great idea it's just unfortunate that it somehow goes to the wayside for the other 364 days a year right and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you caught this. Have you caught the TSN feature on Paul Ranger? I, I, I haven't had a chance to watch it. It was my intention to watch it uh, sometime today, though. So for those that don't know, I'm a massive Tampa Bay Lightning fan, and Paul Ranger used to play for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I was always a huge fan of his. And then he just disappeared from the NHL, and I was definitely one of those wondering, like, what the heck happened, right? 
So if you haven't gotten the chance, it's up on TSN's website. Go watch the Paul Ranger. Uh, it's called The Mystery of Paul Ranger. And it was an interview he did with Darren Drager and a great piece TSN put together on what happened with him. And essentially, everything just got too much. He suffered from mental illness, and it brought him down. And it's a very inspiring story about how, you know, he found support system and coaches and teammates and, and family that helped him turn things around and how he's using that now to help other people. So if you haven't watched that yet, I, uh, I strongly recommend it. Also, too, while you're on it, I, I don't know if you saw the uh, any of the Jets broadcast yesterday, but those of you that are in the Jets region and it's also on that a Darren Drager's conversation with Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock, of course, is the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, being mental health advocate uh, for, you know, Bell, Bella Todd, and other initiatives. Uh, it was just very interesting to hear, you know, Mike Babcock's take on mental health, um, you know, from a coaching standpoint, and I, I don't exactly remember the context of the of the of the interview very much because I had the volume on very quietly. But I would also recommend watching the conversation with Darren Drager and Mike Babcock. Yeah, and, and you know all of these stories that come out just show that if you are dealing with a mental illness, that you're not alone. People from all over the world of all different walks of life are fighting the same issues you are. And I think that's something we often don't consider as well as we look at these pro athletes, Mike, and we see them, I think we often see them as numbers out on the ice or numbers out on the field or out on the court or whatever. And just pieces in a game is what these athletes, I think, are often looked at. You know, we, we consider them for the talent they bring on the field, the level of entertainment we, they bring. I don't think, I think oftentimes, you know, what fails to be considered is that they're human beings like the rest of us. They deal with yeah. the same real-life problems that everyone else does. You know, and I think it's very interesting Interesting you bring that up. And I, I, I don't want to make excuses in, uh, in any, any way, shape, or form. But to be a pro athlete comes also with its... Uh, with its mental and physical demands, too, that people, you know, don't even realize they're in the media, they're in the spotlight, they're, uh, they're basically, they're basically just as susceptible, uh, to stuff like this as the normal human being. It's not just all, all, all roses and green grass, uh, being an athlete. For sure. Like I said, and, and I think that the same thing also goes to for concussions and and general in sports. Like it's not roses and green grass being an athlete. Certainly not. No, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of you know hard work that goes into it. Uh, the pressure on them is enormous. It all boils up, I think, a lot of times, and it's something that you know they yeah. don't want to view be. Like a lot of us, you you don't want to be viewed as weak, right? And uh, and that's the unfortunate perception out there always is that if you're dealing with a mental illness, you're weak, you're not strong. I, I would argue it's the complete opposite. You know, if you're fighting through something like that, you're probably the strongest person out there. Yeah. Yeah, and I commend the people that try to do this on their own. 
and not tell people about it. But, you know, if the, the path of the matter is if you feel yourself, you know, needing to talk to someone or, you know, share with someone about whether you, you know, whether you think that you're, you're dealing with mental illness or stress and you, you think it's getting to that point, it's unbelievable. Um, it's unbelievable the effect that talking to somebody else about it can do, you know, because they, they might be able to to help you out or sympathize with you or just flat out or just listen. And I, I really believe that, you know, when you, when you talk, as much as it might seem embarrassing in the moment to be, to begin, uh, you know, to begin the process of talking, that's often the hardest part, you know, starting the conversation. Once the conversation started, it's kind of easy, but starting the conversation is really, uh, is really the, the difficult part. But, you know, if you can get through the first part, you know, it has a lot of benefits and, it it has a lot of benefits if you can uh, if you can start to uh, if you can start the the process of talking to someone and having been there years ago and and not necessarily the mental illness part of it but having you know the stress and stuff with the job and school and all that kind of stuff might seem like a small thing but talking to someone about 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 your stresses really helps. Oh, for sure. And that's something I was going to, I wanted to mention as well, you know, like we, we don't, we don't talk about personal stuff a lot on this show. We keep it about the football stuff. Uh, yeah. So one thing I, I don't think I've ever mentioned is the fact that I'm a university student, right? And so I see this day in and day out, both from myself and from people around me all day long in the sense that the universe, you know, and not just university, grade school as well, kids the amount of stress that they're under, I think, goes often unnoticed and isn't realized. You know, when you're in school, that that's basically, it's on your mind 24-7. Like, it, it, it never stops people off. And, you know, there's the misconception that, oh, you know, you have two classes in a day, whatever. You go to school for two hours, you come home. You come home, you do homework for eight hours, and then you get a brief bit of sleep, but your mind's still running based on what you've been working on all day long. So I think it's something where often people, you know, it, it's no secret people deal with stress when they're when they're trying to balance this and trying to balance then, you know, some people trying to balance work on top of that to be able to afford to go to university, trying to afford, you know, balance a social life and friends on top of that. I, I think, you know, you look at the number of university students there are around the country, I, I would fair wage a fair amount of them deal with either stress, anxiety, depression, any other mental illness in a fair amount of way. Yeah, and, you know, the one thing I will mention is uh, it doesn't necessarily, like, something like mental illness and whatever people are going through often doesn't come to the surface by talking to the person. You know what I mean? They, they, you could have a normal conversation with somebody and you could sense that, oh, it's fine, it's fine, right? Everything's fine. You know, they, they, they never said anything. Well, truth be said, you can't get into somebody's head 
and sense that there's something wrong, right? So right. you have to kind of look for in- indicators of, you know, mental illness or stress or whatever, wh- whatever it ends up being. But, you know, just be aware for symbols and, and you know, mood swings and abnormal changes, stuff like that. Yeah, you put it great because the natural human instinct is I don't want to share my problems with the world. You know, I'm going to f- deal with them internally. I don't want to, anyone else to have, feel this burden. We, we've all felt like that at one point or another, whether it's mental illness or any other problem in the world, right? And, and it's one of those things where, you know, that's where the perception needs to change from, you know, don't go and burden other people with your problems to, you know listen to people's problems, be open to not taking on their burden, but helping them through theirs. Yeah, and that's, and sometimes it can take as little as five minutes, but you have no idea how much the five minutes means to the person that is going through whatever they're going through. I I, I think that's, that's a great way to put it. Do you have anything else to add on the topic, Mike, or... No, I, I, I just think that it was a good idea that we talked about it, and I hope that people use the hashtag and, and donate today, but also to remember that, you know, mental illness is a stigma, but we'll have to deal with not just on Bella Talk Day, but the other 364 days of the year. Right, and, and, and if you're dealing with a mental illness, you're not alone. Millions of people around the world are dealing with the same thing just as you are. There's someone out there that feels the same way you are, so don't feel like you're alone. Um, and, and if you know someone with a mental illness, you know, like we've mentioned, just just be open to supporting them. Let them know you're there to listen, and that that sometimes that's all it takes, right? Yep. Well, moving on now, Mike. Let's let's get into talking about the football. I think that was an important conversation that we just had. Um, but talking about the football, which is the main reason we were here today. Talk, let's start off with talking about the um, transactions and notes from the past week. Where do you want to start on this list, Mike? Uh, I mean, you know, it's very important that we start, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of want to, if you don't mind, talk about everything that's happened in Toronto uh, the past little while, but I think that's going to take some time to go through. Uh, before we talk about the... Uh, Edmonton Eskimos, but there's some news that came out of Toronto. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, lots of news that came out of Toronto this past week. Um, you know, you would think a team that won the Grey Cup, everything's all rainbows and puppies in Toronto, but uh, definitely not the case because uh, let's start off with James Wilder. James Wilder was hands down, in my opinion, the MVP of the second half of the CFL season last year. I mean, that guy dominated on the field. I, w- I would put him up there to win MOP in 2018 if he were to play, but he will not be playing. He's decided to sit out the 2018 season. Yeah. I mean, what this is about, uh, money supposedly, uh, he doesn't feel that he deserves to be in the CFL. He wants to be in the NFL. And uh, unfortunately, a CFL contract is the uh, minimum of two years, and 
Wilder had one year and he's got another year in his deal and the Ardos won't won't let him go and he thinks he's ready for the NFL after one big season in the CFL. Yeah, so and, and that's essentially the the big hoopla around this, right? Is that so Wilder when he came to the Argos signed a two year contract. Um, so he he is still stuck under that contract. Um, he wanted to go to the NFL. The team doesn't want to let him go to the NFL because if they do, they have to release him for that. If it doesn't work out in the NFL, then he comes back and it's a CFL bidding war for James Wilder's services. And so the Argos feel like, well, they're losing him and not getting anything in return in that case, right? Yeah, and I, I, I think the CFL needs to correct that. I think they need to bring back what they had in the past where guys had NFL options for a certain period of time, regardless of the contract. And then if they didn't meet the NFL, then their rights would automatically transfer back and their contract would kick in. I think they need something like that in the next CBA. Uh, yeah, and, and, and Wilder's big argument, you know, is that he, he needs to provide for his family the amount of money. CFL players don't make a lot of money. Let's be real. Compared to the NFL, I mean... The, the, what a CFL year-long contract is pocket change compared to what you make in the NFL, right? Yeah. So that that's where you know Wilder's looking at it, and uh, you you can follow him on Twitter and uh, you know see all of his comments on it there. I, I think today he went on another rant. I I don't remember what it was about, but I think it was explaining his thoughts. Um, you know he he. Bottom line, his decision comes from wanting to provide for his family, and he feels that he can't do that with the contract he's under with the Toronto Argonauts. So uh, ultimately, he's deciding to, you know, take a step away and go back to the States, train in the States, I believe work a job down there um, to, to uh, to go and provide for his family. Now, I don't want to slam James Wilder, but does he really believe that he's an NFL running back? I think he has the talent for it. You know, it's one thing, right? I mean, I wonder what CFL players think, but those that want to try to get to the NFL, and what the general managers actually think. So what, where do you stand on this argument? Who's, who's right? The Argos for saying for wanting to keep him or for keeping him and saying, no, you can't go. Or is, is Wilder right for stepping away? Are both right or neither right? Where do you weigh in on this, Mike? The blame is all the way around, but the bottom line for me as I see it is simply this. Wilder's under contract with the Toronto Ardenauts. As long as Wilder's under contract with the Toronto Ardenauts, he should honor that contract. Now, if he refuses to honor that contract, i.e. play out the second year, which is this coming year, that speaks to me of a little bit of a problem with the person. Now, I understand that James, I understand James Wilder's argument too, but in the same sense, he's not making a lot of money. He's got to, you know, take care of his family. In the same sense, you signed a legally binding agreement so it's just, uh, it's just really interesting. Like, I was on Wilder's side, I was on the Ardell's side. Now I'm somewhere in the middle. 
Yeah, you know, I, 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 the way I looked at it, and I think this is what I said when you and I talked about this after it broke, um, just in our own personal conversation, was that, you know, in terms of, like, Wilder wanted his contract with Toronto to be restructured because he feels like he's not being paid towards the value he brings to the team. I don't think the Argos, uh, the Argos have no obligation to go and rework the contract, right? No. They signed him to a two-year deal. They, there's like the Argos can't be forced to go and re-sign him to a contract, and they shouldn't have to go because they they made this deal together. Uh, and so, uh, but on the other hand, you know, at the end of the day, if Wilder's truly making this decision to step away from the CFL for 2018. To, because he needs to provide for his family and feels like he can't do so, then I can't blame the guy at the end of the day, right? Because at the end of the day, if his if his reasoning behind this decision is his family, you, you can't blame a guy for wanting to take care of his family. How much of this is on the agent, Ryan? In what sense? Not knowing the rules. I mean, that might have been part of it, right? Was that, but also, you know... Here, here's the thing, right? And this is where you mentioned bringing back the option, the NFL option window is 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 a clear solution to the issue. When Wilder signed that that one year or that two year deal with the Argos, how much of it do you think it was? This is a guy that's trying to find you know a job in football here. A two year contract gives you two year job security. Yeah, maybe I'll play great enough to go to the NFL next season, but if not, hey, I still have a job right for two years. Um, and, and, and how much of it, you know, and on the most part, most CFL teams, you know, will grow and grant their players the release to head to the NFL. How much of it do you think was them, you know, expecting the Argos to do the same? I think those circumstances were completely different, right? And you looked at the players that have been released out of pursue NFL opportunities, 95% of them were pending free agent in February. That's fair. That's fair. So so, so if you know that I am not going to resign, if you know that I didn't pursue NFL opportunity, you may as well just let them go early. That That's a good point. I didn't consider that point. So for Wilder to have one more year left, yes, the Ardos are under no obligation to, uh, no obligation to uh, let them go. Right. How much of it, Mike, is that, you know, you think about it, and this has been brought up, that there's no guaranteed contracts in the CFL in the sense that if the Argos aren't happy with a guy like Wilder, they they can cut him right now before his two-year contract is up. So the owners can do that, but the players can't, where they don't feel it's a satisfactory contract. The player's not allowed to just walk away. You know, it, it's in a sense, it's been brought up as a double standard, whereas what, you know, you can look at this as, oh, the Argos don't want to restructure a deal because they got a great talent like James Wilder for really cheap for another season. You know, we talk about that all the time. You look at NHL contracts as well, when you sign a guy, you know, a, a cheap deal and then he has a breakout season, all of a sudden becomes a star and you're paying him for the next five years, very little money for the amount he's producing. We talk about it as, you know, a big win for the team in that case. But also with the CFL, you know, they sign a guy to a big amount of money. He doesn't pan out. A, la, a guy like Darian Durant with the Montreal Alouettes. Mm-hmm. Cut him from the pocketbooks, you know. Release, they can release him at any time. They don't have to honor the contract. 
it's a double standard that the player is forced to honor a contract when the when, when the team isn't. Well, it's. I think Ryan, this is a discussion that we could have till we're blue in the face. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's there's a fine line and a fine rope that needs to be walked, and we can argue this till we're till we're blue in the face. We could, yeah. There's a uh, there's a lot of different sides to this, and uh, people stand on you know on many different platforms in terms of this decision of James Wilder to sit out the 2018 CFL season. I think we can all agree, whether you agree with Wilder, whether you agree with the team, neither or both, I think we can all agree from a CFL fan standpoint, this sucks. Because you have such a promising young talent in Wilder who, you know, just a couple weeks ago was talking about how he was going to become the first CFL running back to be the uh, thousand yards rushing, a thousand yards receiving in the same season. And I think he very well could have achieved it. And to see this guy, you know, walk away from the league after such a promising start, it sucks. The one thing I will say about Chance Wilder is someone has his priorities in, in order. What do you mean? And I say somewhat, as in, well, he doesn't want to honor the last year of his contract, but he has his priority in order that he wants to care for his family, and that's really, really important. For sure. Um, so for, it started off with that. And then all of a sudden, a couple days later, uh, another rookie for the Argos defensive lineman, Victor Butler comes out issuing a statement saying he's being held hostage by the team. Can you elaborate on that, Mike? Yeah, he feels like he's being, uh, held hostage by the Argos. They won't kind of the same Wilder situation. He, Claims to have put, and this is the way I understand it, a player option to pursue NFL opportunities. He used to play for the Dallas Cowboys, I believe. Um, and then what happened was the same kind of deal. He basically went on. He thinks he's, he wants to pursue NFL opportunities, and he's saying, oh, I'm not getting enough money, the practice facilities. You know, aren't good. The Toronto, like the city of Toronto, started to make some bad remarks about Toronto and the CFL, and literally wrote a really divisive letter on a website. Um, and I guess it caught a lot of people by surprise. It caught me by surprise. I couldn't believe what I was reading. Uh, in the same sense, knowing what I hear about James Wilder now, is there some value to this? But man, oh man, oh man, I I did not like that the way that letter was worded. Yeah, that was uh, certainly took me by surprise as well. And then of course, just a couple of days ago, now we have uh, TSN's. It was Glenn Suter, I believe, correct? Yeah, he was on the a radio show in Saskatchewan, and he. <laughs> he he came, he came out and uh, he he basically said that uh, you know Victor Butler the things he said in that statement you know were unnecessary weren't completely factual um, he owes an apology to the team to the to Canada to the CFL A very weird week Mike it's something but. I'm sorry, I have no respect 
for athletes that feel the way they do and subsequently express the way Butler did. It's one thing to feel the way Butler did, and I don't blame him if said, if what happened is true, I would be angry too. But to go public to the extent that he did, that's the part to me that bothers me the absolute most, is you're literally saying, well, this is no dead, this is no dead, this is no dead. Everything is no dead. The CFL is, you know, in 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 essence, Toronto Ardenauts are holding me hostage. Boy, oh boy, that's not something I want to read if I'm working in the CFL. It's something that I don't want to read as a fan. Because honestly, I'm deeply offended by those comments, to be very, very honest with you. It's a lead that I followed literally all of my life, which is, you know, if I take out my toddler years, 20 plus years, I have grown and come to know the CFL and the NFL. To hear a CFL player talk like this, using the terms that he used, makes me absolutely sick. Yeah, and, 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 you know, like, Butler's major point here was that he made it very clear when he signed a two-year contract with the team that, because he signed two years, right? Yep. He signed a two-year contract with the team, but he made it very clear that at the end, of that he was only interested in playing for the one year. Um, because a rookie contract is two years by by default, right? Yep. So a CFL rookie contract is two years, no matter what. He made it very clear that he was only intending on playing in the CFL for one year and then wanted to go back to the NFL when he signed the contract. That's the big argument he's putting out here, right? Is that, you know, I made it very clear that these were my intentions and now that the, and we had an agreement in place that, yes, that's fine. And then now the team is, you know, holding me hostage is not, you know, going along with that deal we negotiated. And here's the thing, and here's the one major point from that Glenn Suter interview that uh, that that resonates with me the most here is that he made this deal. Victor Butler made this deal with Jim Barker. What yep. Jim Barker was the general manager of the Toronto Argonauts. Barker. You know, they had the management change, right? Barker out, Jim Pop comes in, new yep. management comes in. They're not, they don't know the ob, they don't know the obligations that, or the deals, the, the side deals that that previous ownership and previous management had made, and they're under no obligation to keep them, right? This is, you know, you see this in businesses all around the place. Uh, new management comes in, they want to put their stamp on a team. It's not just in sports, and they're going to do things their way, and they have no obligations to hold up the same, you know, practices that previous management did. Honestly, Ryan, if I were to go buy a business, whatever business, I'm under no obligation to to honor contracts of that previous owner. No, you're not. Same as the same, the same, the same he did in sports. Right. New owner, he has the right to do what he wants. Well, well, I'll argue not the same as in all sports. You know, a new general manager takes over 
in the NHL. I mean, I guess they could put everyone on waivers, but you can't just outright release them. Yeah, true that. But but in a league in the CFL where contracts aren't guaranteed, I mean, new general manager, Jim Pop could have walked in and released everyone on the Argos and built an entire new team in the offseason. That's what Chris Jones basically did in Saskatchewan a couple of years ago. Here's another thing. If you're that dead set on going to the NFL, why like, do your research? Like, I would encourage people and people that are considering playing in the CFL, do your research. Read the rules. Read the contractual rules. That's the job of an agent. Whether you're James Wilder, whether you're Bitter Butler, things change overnight. Read the rules. If, if it, you know, that's about the only thing I can say it. If you read the rules, get familiar with the background, with the expectation, these rules are in place for a reason, and probably specifically this reason in the case of James Wilder. You know, it gives CFL players incentive to sign these guys without worrying about losing them after one productive year. You know, if you're a CFL player, if you're a player coming to the CFL, make sure you and your agent know the rules and, you know, the situation when it comes to minimum salary, to maximum salary, to pay still, to pay schedule, that the contracts aren't guaranteed, uh, NFL option opportunities. Like, know what you're agreeing to before you sign it. And that's it's the same in any walk of life, whether... I sign a contract with Mike FM or one of my other businesses. Before I put pen to paper, I know what I'm agreeing to. Right. So that there's no surprises. So we got a lot more CFL news from the past week to talk about, Mike. Probably, well, pretty much all of this is a lot less controversial than everything going on with the Argos right now. So it's it's not as, you know scandalous of in, uh, of news to talk about, but uh, let's go through some of it here. Uh, let's start off with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Signing defensive back Stephen Clark this week was the major news out of, uh, out of Bomberland. Um, former BC Lions defensive back had a shot to go to the NFL and then ended up, I believe, tearing his ACL, so it never really got things going there. Uh, One-year deal, as far as I'm aware. I, I like it. Had a really good DB. Uh, he's an upgrade uh, for sure. And, you know, just another, some internal competition that the Blue Bombers want at that position. Now, now does the signing of, I mean, we've talked long about the big three, Randall, Leggett, uh, and TJ Heath, probably not all three of them coming back. Does this, does bringing in a guy like Stephen Clark finalize it, in your opinion, that one of those three isn't going to be coming back? Not necessarily. Um, you know, to be honest with you, man, teams they look at uh, they look at all options on the table, internal, external, what they have on their roster, uh, what they don't have, you know, etc. And they look to make an upgrade here, an upgrade there. Whether they go in thinking, I'm I'm sure they probably know who's not coming back, and those people have probably been advised. But I don't think you go out and I don't think you go out and with a set plan of um, we're gonna bring this guy back, we're gonna sign this guy, and because we signed this guy, that 
pretty much closed the door on this guy. I, I don't think you I don't think you go with that mentality. I think you go in with this, you try to build the strongest roster possible, and Clark was one of those guys that gives the bombers a chance to ice a stronger roster. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Bombers also re-sign defensive back Brendan Morgan and wide receiver Taylor Henry. Um, These were two former draft picks of the Bombers that they released prior to start of last season. Uh, Yeah, prior to start of last season. So Bombers deciding to bring these guys back, like you said, probably just more competition in training camp, right? Competition in training camp, and they want to see what strides those two guys made over the course of the season, right? One year to the Nats. You know, a guy is like a hockey trial, right? One year the guy is kind of out of place, so he works on what he needs to work on. Next year he finds himself fitting in a little bit more, et cetera, et cetera, right? So every year there's improvement. So I think there's also a, a, a competition uh, for, you know, spots like that, but there's also a chance for those guys to show growth and improvement. The, uh, the Calgary Stampeders fullback Rob Cote announcing his retirement after 11 seasons. The fullback yep. has to be one of the most, you know, underrated, unrespected positions in football. Yeah, you're, you're blocking a lot. You're running a lot. You're opening up holes for the running back. It's it's a thankless position along with the offensive line in my, in my estimation. Right. I mean, you look at the NFL, sometimes you have packages where, the, you know, the fullback will get a carry. The fullback will be, you know, one of the running backs going out in the flat. Um, and, and that happens to an extent in the CFL, but certainly the fullbacks don't get a lot of touches in the CFL. Like you mentioned, it, it, they, it's the blocking that they provide. And, and and Rob Cote is one of those guys that's provided such a such an amount of leadership to that Calgary Stampeders locker room. I mean, 11 seasons with the same team in a league where, you know, players don't normally last that long, that's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. And it's it, it's very, like, Rob Cote in Calgary, he, uh, he's one of the rare exceptions uh, with, you know, people that had sold at his position on and off the field. Uh, Cote, for me, at least made one big play a game or every couple of games that was kind of like game-breaking. And Jay Bully, I met you on another option and helped in the scheming uh, aspect of the offense. Uh, you know, it, it's guys like him, guys don't play as long as they do, particularly in one spot. I not sure if Colty's played for other teams. I don't think so. I, I don't believe so. I think it was a full year with the uh, or full eleven seasons with Calgary. So for a player to spend eleven years with one team, like Melch Tito spending as long as he did with the Bombers, Ben Cahoon spending as long a long time as long a time as he did in Montreal. Those are few and far between and a lead that has as much changeover as possible. Those are loyal guys and guys that you want on your team any day of the week. For sure. Stampeders also re-signing defensive end Ja'Garrett Davis. Davis uh, was one of those pieces along the defensive line last year that was really effective for Calgary, as we've mentioned all season long. You know, Ryan? Yeah. Uh, one quick thing on, on uh, Davis. Yeah. Uh, this is an underrated signing. One of the most important signings for the Calgary Stampeders. 
I have a feeling we'll be talking a lot about Davis in the breakout player of the year kind of category. Well, I, I think he's already up there as a player in near like in that high caliber territory. I mean, this Calgary defense was a force to be reckoned with all of 2017. He was definitely, you know, an integral piece of that. That Calgary defensive line caused nightmares game in and game out. Yeah, and you know what? He uh, he didn't get a chance to thrive because I believe there'll be some some changes in Calgary as there will be on on uh, on other teams. Uh, but there's an opportunity here for David to take a bigger role, and and I, I think he's ready for it, and I think he didn't really have a breakout year. Fair enough. I, I would agree with you. Um, moving on, uh, we have a trade to announce. Uh-oh. Um, the Montreal Alouettes trading fullback J.C. Bayou to, re- to the Ottawa Red Blacks for fullback Patrick Lavoie. We talked about the fullback position with Rob Cote. How often do you see a fullback for fullback trade in football? How often do you see a trade, period? Well, well that's fair, but and, and when it is, you know... This is this is a weird trade. It's a one for one swap. There's no extra pieces involved. Um, JC Bayou goes to the Red Blacks. Patrick Lavoie goes to Montreal. Uh, what do you make of this? Well, I did two guys, but real. I did two teams, but realized they have assets uh, that can help each other. So, upgrade Toronto, upgrade Ottawa. Montreal, you mean? Not uh, Toronto. Mon- Montreal, yeah, yeah. Um, well, is it an upgrade? Is it an upgrade for both sides if they're trading at the same position? It's a swap that works for both teams, maybe salary wise. Well, here's the thing: more details came out today uh, about this trade. See, the I'll pull it up here. Um, I, I believe the Red Blacks ended up getting three years younger at the position with this deal and saving. A, a decent amount of money. I'm going to try to find it here uh, for you. So I, I don't necessarily see where this makes sense from the Montreal Alouettes standpoint. Yeah, uh, from Joey Alfieri of the Mont- out of Montreal, I've been able to come up with some more details on the Lavoie Bayou trade from yesterday. According to my sources, not only did Red Blacks get three years younger, but they also saved at least 35000 on cap by making the trade. How does this deal make sense for Montreal? Well, I don't think Lavoie is an upgrade at the position. I think Bayou was possibly one of their best offensive players in 2017. Does anything make sense in Montreal? That that that's a rational point. That is a very rational point, Mike. Um, the only thing I can logically think of is they got rid of some money. Uh, well, they got rid of Darian Durant, so I don't know. Maybe they wanted to get. Maybe the bill. Maybe they wanted to find a way to make up Darian money somehow. I I don't know. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's a weird trade. Very weird trade. Um, and, if I'm, and if I'm Ottawa, I'm walking out of there laughing my face off. Oh, for sure. I'm saying thank you very much. Um, the Alouettes also signed a couple guys this week. Uh, quarterbacks Garrett uh, Fugate, Fugati. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Uh, Nick Shafnisky. Uh, defensive line Ventral McMillan, wide receiver Lonnie Outlaw, and linebacker Jordan Harris. So Montreal Alouettes continued to make changes, as we mentioned a couple days ago. They released a bunch of guys. Now they're bringing in some others, uh, trying to bring in some of that camp competition. 
Yeah, and there didn't be change over in Montreal. I, I can I can confer this to what I kind of saw in Saskatchewan a couple years ago, where you know Chris Jones basically released everybody, brought in an entire new team, had a practice roster B, and kept changing players out over the course of the year. I think we're going to see the same thing in Montreal until they can find the right mix of personnel. The Ottawa Red Blacks, along with that trade they made with Montreal, also this week went and uh, re-signed their offensive lineman Alex Matias to a two-year contract extension. Former first overall pick by the Red Blacks. He's played three full seasons with them. Um, This is a huge one for the Red Blacks. He was ranked third on CFL.ca's top 30 free agent list for this year. Um, you know, your, your team is, your offense is as good as your offensive line, I think is very fair to say. If you don't have an offensive line, you, your quarterback's going to be on the ground all day long. You're not going to get anything going. And he's been an integral piece of that for the Red Blacks. And I think it's, this is a huge deal for them. Yeah. And you know, it's, you know who your quarterback is and he's a very important part of your team. And in order to keep your team afloat, you got to, Keep your quarterbacks up, right? Right. Um, moving on, the Edmonton Eskimos, who we're going to talk about in the second half of the show here shortly, uh, signing defensive back Neil King through an extension for this year. Also signing uh, defensive lineman Mark Mackey, who was a draft pick of theirs, I believe, in the eighth round this past year, uh, and defensive back David Stevenson to contracts. So the Eskimos making a couple... Minor moves and uh, re-signing defensive back Neil King. Yeah, it's, again, continuity in Edmonton. They made a couple changes that we talked about last week on last week's show, or earlier this week, to be technical. Uh, but this is more setting the roster in place for uh, Edmonton, you know, working pieces around and keeping players that they want around. Right. Um, in terms of, uh, so the Johnny Manziel saga that we've talked about week after week might finally be coming to an end, Mike, because June Jones has hinted that a decision on Manziel could come this week. Also remember today is Wednesday, January 31st, which was the deadline that Johnny Manziel gave the Ticats, uh, back near the start of January to offer him a contract. Will we finally see an end to this saga? Yeah, I think it ends one way or another. And now the question is, how badly did Johnny Manziel want to play football? And I highly doubt he wants to wait till 2020 or 2021 and Vince McMahon's XFL. Well, he's not even allowed in Vince McMahon's XFL. Okay, so then I guess the the other option is, uh, only option at this point is to see about what the arena leads. Yeah, because and we'll talk about the XFL uh, maybe a little bit here. The the league starting up in 2020, it was around back. When was the original XFL around? It was back, uh, I want to say, I can't even remember, but it only lasted one year. That's probably why I can't even remember. Right. Obviously, it didn't pan out then. There, Vince McMahon's trying to bring it back. Um, starting in 2020, promising shorter games to keep people more interested um gonna make some you know promising a simpler game um so it's easier to follow stuff like that he also it was uh, 
what we just had in here it was 2001 okay that's what i that's what i was thinking um i don't know if the xfl is going to survive <laughs> on, on its second go around here either i really don't um vince mcmahon going and saying nobody with a criminal record or anything like that will be allowed in my league so uh due to uh, including a dui which johnny manziel has in his past so as much as he might think that's an option for him it doesn't look right now like the xfl will be an option for johnny manziel here's another thing uh something that stands out here new xfl announcement vince mcmahon said the lead won't be political all players will be required to stand for the national anthem. Yeah, yeah. Very, it, it, when the league comes back, I'm very interested to see what it's going to look like. I don't remember because I was too young at the time for to really, you know, understand what the original XFL was like. I, I, I can tell it was a disaster by the fact that it only lasted a year, but... Um, I, I, I'm interested to see if this one's going to stay afloat and for how long that will be. And I'm interested to see the effect it has, if any, on the CFL, because I think there are people out there worrying that, oh no, the XFL is going to steal all the American players away that want to come to the CFL. Right. And I don't know if that threat is valid. I don't know if that worry is valid or not. I, I, I mean, this is two years away. A lot can change in the next two years. Yeah, I I I don't know too much about that at all, to be honest with you. But I, I it does intrigue me a little bit. Um, back to Manziel for a second. So uh, June Jones hinted that a decision could come this week. He also very made it very clear that uh, he sh- if he does come to Hamilton, he shouldn't be expecting the starting job because he'll have to win that battle away from uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli. And that's going to be very tough to do. And and June Jones put that point out there. And I think it's good that he put that out there so that everyone knows the expectations. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, let's be frank. How many guys have been out of football with Lana Johnny Manziel has and come back and won a starting job in year one? Right. You know, that, that to me, the thing that stands out, uh, I believe he needs at least a year to learn the ropes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. I, I, I think it's good that he said this. I think Mazzoli deserves the starting job, as we've talked about, for the last month and a half or so. Um, and if Manziel comes in, you know, he's going to have to have the right attitude and uh, earn his time out on the football field, plain and simple. He shouldn't be treated differently just because he's Johnny Manziel, and I'm glad he's not going to be by the sounds of it. Uh, final piece of news from the past week or so, Mike. Um, Randy Ambrosi, commissioner of the CFL, is going on a Canada-wide tour and will be visiting each CFL market plus Halifax, where the rumored 10th team is to come eventually, mm-hmm. and will be holding open forums and meeting with fans and answering questions. This is great. I, I, love, I love the work that the current commissioner of the CFL is doing. Do we have a applause? Uh, sound clip that we can put in here. I can clap. How's that? It, it is about time. I am so glad to hear this, that everybody is having a voice in the way this GFL is operated. 
Yeah, I and I, I'm excited to, you know, see what comes out of this. I mean, just recently he finished meeting with all the general managers of the CFL, I believe. So, and so, guess what? What? The media was invited. Yeah. And then out in Banff. So, so it's great to see, um, you know, all the stuff that came out of that. Now all the stuff that uh, we'll be able to see coming out of these fan forums from around the league as well. And, and the fact that he's visiting Halifax, I mean, it, it's 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 no secret at this point. It's only a matter of time before before we see an Atlantic team in the CFL and a tenth team, and, and and him making this tour all but confirms it to me. Yeah, and I don't think you go into a market hosting a town hall if you don't have very valid plans of putting a team in there. That's that that's exactly right. So I believe that does it for all of the CFL news from the past week. Mike, did you have anything else to add? Well, just reading reports here, but uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats offered Johnny Mandel $150,000 plus minor incentives, while Mandel's camp is looking for $500,000 plus incentives. I mean, that that's nowhere near close to both sides coming to an agreement. So I'm assuming he turned that contract offer down. Well, well, I'll tell you what. There's, there's no deal to be had with numbers like this. No, I mean you're not going to pay your backup quarterback five hundred thousand dollars for a guy who oh. hasn't proven he can play in the CFL. Now he's saying the numbers might have come down a little bit, but the fact of the matter is still a philosophical gap remains between the two parties. I mean, one side's going to have to give in. I, I don't think they're going to keep meeting in the middle. I, I, Honestly, I, I don't think there's a deal to be had here. I mean, someone from one side, either either Cats are really high on him and are going to come out and pay him the money, or he's going to have to, you know, check in and realize, okay, this is the best, this is my chance to play football and take whatever deal is offered to him. Honestly? I take the one fifty, go prove myself, and then make that big ticket deal the next time around. Hey, that's what I would do as well, Mike. You know, you have some proving to do. You don't just get five hundred thousand handed to you when you've been out of football for as long as you have. Right. Maybe Peyton Manning gets that that amount of money if he comes out of retirement, but Johnny Manziel ain't Peyton Manning. Nope, certainly not. No more than you or I is. Um, moving into talking about continuing the offseason outlook mike our third last team to talk about here the edmonton eskimos um possibly one of the weirdest seasons yeah in terms of a roller coaster of a season i think we've ever seen um a team that has a free agent list that so long i have to scroll for a little bit just in order to look through all of them I mean, I mean, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, weird 2017 season and a lot up in the air for 2018. Let's start off with talking about 2017 and uh, what went well for the Eskimos. Well, they uh, made it further than the Bombers. <laughs> That's one way. That's one thing to, to mention. Well, just in spite we saw the depth that they had. They had a rush of injuries. And how they were still able to pull through that and start 7-0, and I think it was. Yeah. It's just 
mind-boggling. Yeah, that you you talked about the depth I, I, all over the field. Some position, I think one of the defensive back or one of the linebacker positions, they were on the, like their fifth string guy. They were on their third or fourth string running back at times. Half their regular receivers were out due to injury. Half their offensive, I mean, over half of the Eskimos were in the infirmary at one point in the season. Yeah, their injury list was longer than the guys, but they had an appeal. Just kidding. No, but realistically, it was pretty darn close. Yeah. <laughs> now the, the, it was always. Uh, I remember talking with Dave Campbell a couple times, and you know, we asked, you know, who's healthy, who who isn't at the doctor's office, and that was kind of the running show. Right. Um, uh, yeah, though the depth, I mean, was incredible. The way the Eskimos found a way to win through all of these games. The way they strung the wins together, really. I mean, you talk about that. So, I mean, this is kind of the good, then the bad, then the good type of situation here, right? You start off with the seven straight wins. Finally, they lose that first one to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and it all comes crashing down. The injuries finally caught up to them. There was discipline issues for the Eskimos. They were having issues on on the, you know, giving up a lot of yards on defense. Uh, offensive efficiency just wasn't there, and all of a sudden they lose six straight games, and we're thinking, I mean, this is a 7-0 team that started the year. They could, If they lose to Montreal the next week, they could very well, which we, we knew was not going to happen, they could have very well been a team that started 7-0, and uh, after 14 games, they're at 500. And let's be frank, had BC played decent football, maybe missed the playoffs altogether. Right. And then all of a sudden, it changes around yet again, and the Eskimos go on to win their final five games of the season, Mm -hmm. and go and win that West Division semifinal over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, end up losing in the West Final to the Calgary Stampeders. I mean, up and down and up for the Eskimos, a roller coaster season. It, it, It was consistent. They had consistency, whether they were winning consistently or losing consistency. It was not a flip-flop from week to week for the Eskimos. It was either everything's going right or everything's going wrong and nothing really in between. Just the ups and downs and all that. And, you know, it's just one of those things uh, when you you look at the way the season went for the Eskimos. I, I don't think we've ever seen a season like that before. You know, just especially a team that looked like they were going to host the West Final for the States, have to play it on the road, the West Semifinal, and then go into Calgary. And I believe they had a big lead in that game against Calgary early. Uh, yeah, 14 nothing lead early on in that game. You know, it's just so weird. Like, the way that the CFO as a whole this year was really weird. And I don't chalk it up to division and balance at all. But if Edmonton's 12 and 6. You know, you would think that that would be good enough for a first-round buy, maybe, depending on your division. At the very least, a home playoff game, but yet they had to come to Winnipeg. True. Yeah, they uh, they finished tied with the Bombers in the standings, but uh, the Bombers win the season series. Um, and so they go and get to host the Edmonton Eskimos, despite being tied with the same record. You know, it's hard to beat a team three times. You know, the Bombers won a Commonwealth, but... Then the, they won uh, in Winnipeg. I believe that was the one that ended the Eskimos winning streak on a Thursday night. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to beat them three times. And, and the Bombers had 
uh, beat plays allowed in that West semifinal, and they just couldn't come up with it. Uh, but, you know, should we be all that surprised when... Uh, should we be all that surprised when... Uh, when we have a quarterback like Mike Riley, when they have a receiving core like Mike Riley does, when they have a defense like what Mike Riley has? You know, it's just one of those weird things where I think injuries really derailed Edmonton's chance at the Great Cup and more importantly, maybe hosting the West semifinal. Yeah, I mean, this is very... Just the fact that they went 7-0 and despite the injuries they had was incredible. And I, you know, when you can overcome that, and let's be real, we can talk about the depth as the major reason they overcame that. There is another very big reason. There is another very big MOP quality reason why they went 7-0 despite those injuries. And that's at the quarterback position, Mike Riley. I mean, that guy, he deserved to be the MOP this year, uh, hands down, because he led that team through everything. He was best quarterback in the CFL, uh, and he does what Mike Riley does. He carries the team on his back if he needs to. Yeah, and you know what? MOP, there's a discussion, there's a reason why Mike Riley is in the conversation for MOP all season long. This, I guess, put the cherry on top for me as to why there was this discussion uh, every single year. Right. Yeah, and and really in, in the fall, so... Like that strong start to the season, things fall off the rails in the middle of the season. But I tell you, the quarterback I might want most, I mean, Mike Riley's probably the quarterback in the CFL right now. I don't want under center for my team all season long. But especially in the fall, in the cold weather games, Mike Riley kicks it up another notch. Uh, remember a couple years ago when I believe he had a broken foot and still played, uh, you know, in a, in a game against the Riders. I forget how many years ago that was in the playoffs. So Mike Riley yeah. is a guy that has the leadership, the incredible talent, the grit to get it done, especially when it matters most. Put it to you this way, and I, and I hate to ask this question, but I think it's, I think it's an appropriate question to ask. I'm going to paint this scenario for you. Oh, boy. 90 seconds to win a football game. You're down by five inside your own 10-yard line. Who do you want executing the drive? Mike Riley, Bo Levi Mitchell, or Matt Nichols? Can I take another option? Yep. Ricky Ray. Okay. I'll, I'll take Ricky Ray. I think Ray showed that this year. He has the most game-winning drives in CFL history, I believe. Um, I think he had, or, or something like that. I think in that game against Saskatchewan in the playoffs, he had his 42nd. Um, I'll, I'll take Ricky Ray. I think, uh, although those three guys you mentioned are very excellent options. We've seen Mike Riley capable of doing it. We know what Bo Levi Mitchell can do. Matt Nichols, uh, the miracle at home against Montreal this year, uh, several other games like that. We've seen him do it time and time again. These are all guys I would, you know, I, I believe in to go and lead your team down the stretch. I think I put Ricky Ray at the top of that, though. Yeah, I know, but I guess, I guess my question in the months Western Division quarterbacks, mm. Mike Riley is one of the best at the three-minute drill. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just from a standpoint, but he can scramble. He likes to try to put his his net on the line, so to say. Bo Levi Mitchell doesn't come across as a scrambler. It, for me, in order of player, quarterbacks that I want to run my three-minute drive in the last three minutes, Mike Riley, Matt Nichols, Bo Levi Mitchell in that order. I would, I would tend to agree with you, I think. You know, and I doesn't know not against Bowley by Mitchell, but he seems to always show that untimely interception. He doesn't seem to really want to use his feet now. He used his feet a little bit more last year. Uh, last year for that, um, but again, like when it comes down to it, I don't know if Bowley by Mitchell is a quarterback that can consistently win a game if he had to, using his feet. Using his feet, maybe, but I'll argue against that. I think I said at some point this season, you know, you can play your best football game and the Stampeders can play their worst, and somehow Bo Levi Mitchell will find a way to lead his team to a victory. I think I talked about that in the game where they, you know, they came out and beat Hamilton on that last second drive there where Hamilton outplayed them all game, but just one mistake or two and Calgary came and won. Um, so I'll disagree on that sense. I think Bo Levi Mitchell is definitely up there as a guy I'd want to have in my final three minute drill, but you know, they're all good picks. It's hard to rank them in my eyes. Yeah. I don't know. It's again, it's, it's one of those reasons what makes the CFL West so competitive is you cannot handpick those quarterbacks one through five in that list. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's, it's, it's weird because the Eskimos season this year, I mean, I, like if we want to sum up 2017 for this team, yeah. I mean, going into the playoffs, I had them winning the Grey Cup. I think mm-hmm. you had the Bombers beating them in round one. That went well. Um, sorry to throw you under Thanks the bus. Sorry to throw you under the bus, there, man. Well, one year, one year, the bombers have to stop disappointing us. <laughs> one year, twenty eighteen. We will hopefully see a bomber Grey Cup in our lifetime. Um, but anyways, uh, enough of our own pity. The 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 Eskimos were a team that you know they were on a roll, five straight wins coming into the playoffs. They were by far the hottest team coming into the playoffs. I mean, this is a team that. I think if they would have gone on to the Grey Cup and they were so close to doing so in that game against Calgary, I think they would have beaten the Argos. Yeah, it's... uh... I mean, it's hard to say because we don't know what ends up happening because they never played each other in that Grey Cup game. But I I, I think, you know, the Eskimos came so close uh, that... uh, that Jason Ma's decision to kick a field goal went down four, I believe it was, with a couple minutes left. We talked about that a lot when we were talking about that West final um, and how odd of a decision that was and how it may have cost the game. I mean, the Eskimos were close to going to the Grey Cup. They were close to winning the Grey Cup this year. Overall, especially given the amount of injuries they faced, a very successful season for the Edmonton Eskimos. Yeah, you know what? If you take away in hindsight 2020... Edmonton, we'd have we'd have an, we'd have no problem, Ryan, with a team going twelve and six. We consider that to be very successful. It's just the fashion in which this twelve and six record was compiled. Right. Yeah. And 
And I believe if Edmonton can make minor adjustments, they fell victim to a very, very difficult West Division. Yeah, they did. And I, I think the Eskimos are up there. Uh, well, and I'm not making predictions yet, but they're definitely up there as a team that I would expect to contend for a Grey Cup in 2018. That being said, we haven't... Along, gone... with, along with Calgary, along with Winnipeg, along with Ottawa, right? So... And Saskatchewan. And I mean, most of the league, really. The only team, honestly, I, and I hate to say this and point it out, the only team I can see right now not being a potential contender for the Grey Cup in 2018 is the Montreal Alouettes. That being said, who thought the Vegas Golden Knights would be the first place team in the in the uh, NHL's West Division? So you never know what's going to happen in sports. Yeah, it's very uh, it's very interesting because you know this great cup in 2018 is going to come down to one thing. In my opinion, whoever didn't come out of the West, whoever didn't win the Great Cup, whoever is healthy, and whoever can play the best football leading up to November. And let's not forget that the Great Cup is in Edmonton this year, so maybe you know how does the added pressure of having the Great Cup in your home te- in your yeah. city affect them? Yeah, and it's brought Sutherland's first full year as general manager, like his first full off season, so he didn't really start to put his stamp on this team. In terms of talking about the players in 2017, before we talk about the free agents here, uh, who stood out to you as someone who performed uh, better than you expected? Zilstra. Just from a follow-up standpoint, I wanted to see what he could do uh, from one year to the next. Yeah, and that's... uh, I mean, Zilstra is a talent and a half. It was remarkable watching what he could do out on the football field this year you know third down and 10 third and 10 game on the line you knew Mike Riley was throwing that ball to Zilstra you knew he was going to be open you knew he was going to catch it Uh, all game long I mean he dominated all year long and that's why he's off to the NFL right now he had a strong I believe he was the year before right where he came played in the second half of the season had such a tremendous second half of the season and he definitely followed that up this year yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what what. Uh, I'm not sure exactly, you know, if Brandon Zilch was gonna meet the Minnesota Vikings that year. I know he signed a futures contract with them, which will be announced sometime, I believe, in February or March, whenever the lead year opens. Uh, but there's a lot of Eskimos. Let's, you know, look at this realistically. But we'll have shots at NFL opportunities this offseason. Right. They, they have a lot of big names out. And they have already have a couple guys that they've lost to the NFL. Kenny Ladler was possibly the most integral piece of that defense this past season. He's signed an NFL deal with the Washington Redskins. Uh, you mentioned Brendan Zilstra going to Minnesota. I, I think there's going to be several other guys here that are going to get some NFL shots. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a very interesting situation. And then, of course, how much of this is enticing, right, to, to go to the NFL, pursue your NFL opportunity, or have a legit shot to win a great cup in your backyard? And that's exactly why Darrell Walker is back for this year with the Eskimos, I think, right? And I think that's what he talked about in his interviews. 
is that, sure, he would love to give the NFL another shot, but you know, the last one didn't work out so well. He has a home here in Edmonton. They're hosting the Grey Cup this year. Walker wants to be a part of that. Yeah, and, and it's very interesting, uh, the mindset of players. And I wonder, just just who hosting the Grey Cup? If, you know, I, we know it's Edmonton, but I'm just wondering what effect, if any, that has on the free agent market. Right. You know, because, the, because the great top host tends to build a somewhat stronger team compared to, you know, the rest of the league. So it's just very interesting to see exactly where the pieces will fall in a couple of weeks. Yeah, if we want to continue briefly to talk about guys who made an impact, uh, who made a very strong impact in 2017, great additions, guys that stepped up, whatever you have it. I mean, the addition of C.J. Gable through that trade halfway through the season, that that was a monster change for the Eskimos because they were banged up at the running back position, and yeah. Gable was such a force. I believe they also re-signed him. Yeah, yeah. Just recently. Uh... Yeah, back in December, they uh, they re-signed him for next year. So that that's huge for the Eskimos. Um, other guys like Vidal Hazleton. Hazleton was one of those cast-offs when Toronto got rid of all of their promising young receivers a couple of years ago. Hazelton stepped up. He's the guy that stepped up big time when the Eskimos were were injured so much at wide receiver this season, right? Early on in the season, he was the guy. Obviously, he goes on to get injured himself, but he stepped up big time too. Yeah, it's... Uh, sorry, who are you talking about? You cut out there briefly. Vidal Hazelton. Yeah, Vidal Hazelton. You know what? He was kind of that forgotten man in that, in that, in that deep receiving core. Uh, you know, there were guys that had trouble getting the football because of how deep that receiving core was. Yeah, that's, I mean, you can talk about Vidal Hazelton. You can talk about Bryant Mitchell, who definitely has the talent, but struggled to get back into the lineup. Duke Williams, I mean, circus catches all day long from Duke Williams. I mean, the Eskimos have a plethora of talent at wide receiver. Um, and, and, you know, shifting into, if you want to talk about, uh, guys who maybe, you know, were a bit of a disappointment in 2017. I mean, we have all this talent at wide receiver and all that depth, and we didn't even get to see a Darius Bowman at his best, right? Yeah. Uh, that's that's volumes to what they had, though. Bowman struggles, struggled for quite a bit of a portion of the season and know he was injured for a little while. But he certainly didn't have his best season for the Eskimos. Um, and uh, the other guys around him definitely stepped up in his wake. And then he turned it on a little more late in the season. You know, that's exactly what you want, right? You want you want a guy's struggle to go somewhat unnoticed because they're buoyed by other players, you know, good play to pick up. And then all of a sudden the player starts to kind of get his feet underneath him like Bowman did late in the season. And everything's just putting on all cylinders. If you want to talk about guys that were were a bit of a disappointment uh, for the Eskimos, I mean, we can talk about everyone on the injured list, but the two major ones to me were the guys that got injured really early on and for the whole season. It was John White and J.C. Sherritt. Sherritt was, I mean, Sherritt's always been that leader, that linebacker, the line, middle of the defense as a linebacker for that Eskimos defense. They lose him, I think, in the preseason or in game one or something like that. Yeah, very early. And, and then John White goes and tears his ACL. And and if you remember, you know, White 
did that, tore his ACL, missed an entire season a couple years ago, was making a comeback, and then goes and misses the entire season again. Yeah, you have to wonder what goes through a guy's head, right? When, when, uh, you have to wonder what goes through a guy's head when he tore his ACL twice. For sure. Moving into talking about free agency here, what what's the biggest key for the Eskimos this offseason, Mike? Try to bring back as much continuity as possible. Um, also, try to look at what's out there. You know, there's a tendency to say, oh, this team was close. Let's try to bring as much of this team back as possible. But sometimes it's that outside signing that can help push the team over the top. Yeah, I and you know, let's if we want to look at the the free agent list here, there are a lot of guys on both sides of the ball. I mean, this is a long list of free agents, and there's some big names on here for the Eskimos. Starting uh, on the defensive side of the ball, a uh, c- couple guys familiar to Bombers, uh, to Bomber fans, defensive back Johnny Adams, defensive tackle Euclid Cummings, who had a great year with the Eskimos. Um, then you go defensive back Aaron Grimes, who is possibly one of their best defensive players. Um, Forrest Hightower, another one, linebacker Alex Hoffman-Ellis. Um, they released Philip Hunt, the linebacker Corey Jones. Uh, linebacker Adam Konar, who is one of the top free agents out there right now in the CFL, if he does not come back to Edmonton. He was a huge force making up for the lack of J.C. Sherritt in that lineup this year. They lose Kenny Ladler to the NFL. Um, Kochi Mwamba they've released. Uh, linebacker Doug Parrish. Defensive back Gary Peters. J.C. Sherritt himself is a free agent. That's all just on the defensive side of the ball, Mike. Yeah, there's definitely some changes. One would think, would, you know, if they don't re-sign a lot of those guys. Then and, they- and these aren't just, like... These aren't just filler guys. These are their core of their defense. A lot of these are free agents. Brock Sutherland, they better get to work in a, in a hurry. Looking at the offensive side of the ball as well, there's a number of guys there. Uh, fullback uh, or tight end John Delahunt, fullback Alexandra Dupuis, offensive lineman Joel Figueroa, uh, Videl Hazelton, we mentioned, he's a free agent. Um, just scrolling through the list here. Kendall Lawrence is a free agent. Pascal Lachard's a free agent. Um, Simeon Rotier along the offensive line. Wide receiver Jamil Smith. Fullback Levi Steinauer and James Tuck. A lot of fullbacks on this list. Jeez. Uh, Trayvon, running back Trayvon Van. Uh, running back John White. Cor- wide receiver Corey Watson. All of these guys are free agents. Yeah, it's going to be very hard for the free agent running backs to find a job uh, in Edmonton, given the fact that they re-signed C.J. Dable. Yeah, but how much... So, I'll ask you this question. Okay. How, how does Brock Sunderland approach free agency this year, knowing how many injuries he had last year? Does that affect him at all in the sense that, yeah, you can go and say, okay, we've got C.J. Gable, we don't need to invest too much in the running back position. But how much does he look at it by the fact that, oh, we were down to our third string on that position, okay, I need to bring these guys back? It helps. And he... I I, I really don't know, Ryan, because 
The injuries that we saw at Edmonton, I don't think we'll ever see replicated. That was just an absurd amount of injuries. Right. I, I don't think you'd go planning for that every single year. You have it in the back of your head, but I don't think we'll see the same number of injuries that we saw, you know, last year happen this year, then I'd be shocked if that's the case. But last year was just an abnormal amount of injuries. I, I guess you can always guard against it by going having depth at your, you know, your one, one and two on the depth chart to make sure there's not that much of a drop-off. But I don't know, Ryan, if you can go and plan and say, you know, I'm going to guard and take injury history into consideration from the previous year. I don't know if you can go and do that. Right. Because I, I just don't think, I just don't think the general manager goes into that mindset. Maybe, but if again, you, you can only boy up so many positions on your depth chart, right? So you you boy up the ones that are most important, like quarterback. Running back, couple receivers, the ones that are the lifeblood of your team, offensive line. But beyond that, I mean, you have no control over injury. Right. If you, if you uh, look at this list of free agents, Mike, offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball, um, who's the main? Who's the one guy you got to bring back if you're Edmonton? Can you read me that list of offensive linemen again, if you don't mind? The offensive linemen. Yep. Um, well, you got Joel Figueroa and Simeon Rotier are the only two offensive linemen. You know, I, I would try to bring back a Rotier. He was always very, very good on that offensive line. Um, but again, like they need a guy and, you know, if you want to move this across the board, a guy like Trayvon Van to back up CJ Dable wouldn't be a bad option. Pascal Lowshard, a Canadian option. He spent some time with the Bombers behind Andrew Harris. Maybe he finds his way back to Winnipeg now that they move Flanders back to the slot, right? So that opens up a hole there. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say Vidal Hazelton to me just because they are losing Brandon Zilstra to the Minnesota Vikings. You know, that, that Hazelton was the guy that stepped up well for that offense. Um, and I think they're going to need to fill the void of of Brandon Zilstra being gone. Granted, they do have a lot of depth there at the position already, so maybe that's not a major key. Maybe the other guy I would say is a big key on the offense is Corey Watson. You need a Canadian receiver. Watson had a great year in 2017 with the Eskimos. I see no problem in bringing him back. Yeah, can you make the money work? And I bet you that's what I'm kind of sitting on, right? They have... They have all these guys that they want that and probably have some deals signed with players that aren't announced, but it's can you make the financials work on both sides. Right. And then if you flip over to the defensive side of the ball, who's the major one for you? Um, You know, obviously the loss of Kenny Ladler uh, to the NFL. To me, if he can get healthy, you need a guy like J.C. Sherritt uh, signed like immediately. I know he. I know he's had, you know, injuries and in that, but you know what you're gonna get from J.C. Sherritt when he's on the field. J.C. Sherritt's a free agent. Adam Konar is a free agent. Again, Konar was one of the top defensive players for the Eskimos um, in 2017, filling in for J.C. Sherritt. 
if you br- can only bring back one of those two guys, do you, do you risk the injury history with Sherritt, given how effective he is when he can play? Or do you go with a guy like Konar, who stepped up really well in his absence? Konar. You go with the proven commodity, and the proven commodity might be J.C. Sherritt, but he's suffered now, I think, two major injuries in the last five years. Right. I might be slightly off on the timetable. But again, Andrew could happen at the corner, and he could tear a ACL or MCL or Achilles tendon in the offseason or in training camp. So it's kind of a pit your poison, right? And it's like I said earlier, you know, you don't go planning these things because the minute you go planning these things, something else that you plan kind of goes awry. Right. And I'll throw Aaron Grimes as a must bring back as well. He went to the NFL last year, came back late in the season and joined the Eskimos. And he provided a great boost to that Eskimos defense, especially if you're losing Kenny Ladler to the NFL. I I, I think Aaron Grimes is a must bring back. Yeah, he was stable. Uh, He really solidified that defense, in my opinion. Him together with Brandon Thompson, who isn't a free agent. So one of the one of the biggest pieces of the Eskimos defense is still under contract for next year, um, along with Odell Willis along that defensive line. Um, so they do have some pieces on that defense under contract for next year, but definitely a lot of big names are up in the air right now. Yeah, and I believe that's the question becomes... I'm just amazed how a team like the Bombers are able to re-sign as many free agents as they have. And a team like Edmonton still has seemingly a bucket list of free agents to sign. Well, like you mentioned, I think a lot of it is probably just this team doesn't... Trying to figure out how they can fit all the pieces in, right? And sometimes that creates a bit of a log jam in terms of how do you... Where do you begin, right? You look at this long list of pieces and say, okay, I need money for this, I need money for that. Who do you negotiate with first? And then how do you readjust your priorities each time? I think it's something that just takes time, takes a lot of work to organize and coordinate. And I I mean, hopefully... It's like like trying to build a 100-piece or 200-piece puzzle without having the end result of the puzzle in front of you. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, Mike. Anything else Anything else you have to add here on the Eskimos before we close things out? Well, they gave us a Christmas gift and they released their schedule the, uh, 12 hours earlier, so so thanks for that. Right. Got me really excited. Yeah. Uh, very interested to see what the Eskimos do in 2018 to follow up this season. Uh, hopefully less injuries. That That's my one hope for them. And that's my one hope for every team in 2018 ah. is that injuries don't, they're, they're going to come, but I, I, I hate to see them. So that pretty much does it for today's show. Um, Mike, you're, you promised your Super Bowl pick today. Yes. So I'll go ahead. The Philadelphia Eagles will beat the New England Patriots 34 34- 31. One can only hope. Um, Super Bowl this Sunday, correct? Yes, this Sunday, 530. So hopefully, hope everyone enjoys that. Um, and then uh, the NFL will be done for the year. And then uh, no major football until the CFL kicks up again in May. 
If I could just do a shameless uh, self-promotion plug. Always. Uh, Major FM Winnipeg's major weekend is this weekend starting tomorrow night, Thursday, February 1st, going through Sunday, February 4th. 24 live events on Major FM and Major FM Extra. The biggest feature is the MWJHL Lieutenant Governor's LG Tournament, beginning tomorrow night with a doubleheader at 7 o'clock. We also have the top teams in the Manitoba AAA Midget Hockey League doing battle on Mike FM Winnipeg on Saturday afternoon, as well as the top two teams in the MMJHL doing battle on Friday night at the 7 site, but all on Mike FM Winnipeg this coming up weekend. And you can find that at MikeFMWinnipeg.com or through the Mike FM mobile app, correct? Yep. All, all the games will be on Mike FM Extra or Mike FM Winnipeg. It's all available on the Mike FM app. The full schedule is on the website. Wonderful, wonderful. Good luck with all of that. I know it will be a very busy weekend for you. Rest in peace, me, starting uh, <laughs> tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, until the uh, Super Bowl kicks off. That does it for today's show. We'll be back again next week. Um, we're, uh, we're getting close, Mike. It's February starting tomorrow. Free agency starts February 13th. We're exactly two weeks away from it right now. Um, I believe, unless my math is wrong, it might be. Um, so free agency is around the corner. we got to talk about the Toronto Argonauts and the Calgary Stampeders yet. We'll do that over the next two shows. Um, as we get set for the fun to come when free agency begins. For sure. And I'm so glad that Randy Ambrosi has basically put out a ton of news every week so that you and I don't get bored. For sure. And once again, just to close things out, uh, relating to our conversation at the start of the show, make sure you tweet, if you tweet anything out today, use the Bell Let's Talk hashtag. Um, and let's just raise awareness for mental illness. That's it for today. This has been the Canadian Football Countdown. Uh, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.